This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to the Vedic Wisdom. Thank you for being with us. I'd like to talk on a bit higher subject today. This has to do with real transcendental knowledge. It has to do with vision of those subjects outside of the modes of material nature. It has to do with the personal characteristics and qualities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna. It's not a mundane issue whatsoever. The subject matter here today is called transcendental, beyond the modes of material nature. It is outside of the preview of what a living entity can experience or learn by his own investigative power or capacity. It's beyond the preview of the senses. Transcendental knowledge is only available through the disciplic succession and in the Vedic literature. It's not contained in the other religious practices on the planet. This is one of the reasons that the Vedic literature is unique and it is considered absolute. It is the oldest literature and scriptures on the planet and have been here since the beginning of everything during the cosmic creation. Then when the material manifestation was started, the Lord brought the Vedic knowledge and impregnated the Vedic knowledge into the heart of the first created living beings for protection and dissemination through the ages, including this one. And we're given this knowledge in a through a chain of unadulterated protection by the saints and sages throughout the ages such that it's not deviated or perverted in any way. It's delivered to you in proper perspective. This knowledge is uh, transcendental by nature. It's truly beneficial to the consciousness. It's in, in, enjoyable to hear. And it gives extensive knowledge to the hearer. Now, I'm going to have to do a bit more reading than I usually do because I want you to get it as clearly as possible, and I don't want to be guilty of adulteration. But I will drop any pieces that are uh, maybe confusing or using the uh, uh, transcendental words that you may not understand at this early age. Now, what this particular subject relates to is the Lord's manifesting His presence on this planet. Now, in the Vedic literature, it is described when the Lord incarnates and how and why, what form he takes when he comes, and why and how he leaves. Now, the first thing to understand is we're talking about the supreme cause of all causes, God, the topmost personality. And he has control over everything. And so he has the ability to manifest and then not manifest at any moment, anywhere, under any circumstances, because all of the energies that we are dealing with or aware of are under his subjugation. So as the controller of all those energies, he has the capacity to move, change, alter, manipulate them in such a way to uh, facilitate his appearing before us. Now he has the prerogative and the potency that he can make himself seen or not. And in the, the current situation where all of us living entities are here in temporary material bodies, he doesn't make himself seen so that we have free will. We don't feel as though we can't do what we want. He's allowing us to have as much freedom as we desire. And so rather than embarrassing us or curbing uh, our activities by his presence, he remains unseen. 
We're not unseen, but he is. So he's witnessing what we're doing. This is like uh, I was listening to a program about uh, spying and how people do certain things, whether this or that or the other activity, and they completely change their behavior when they find out they're being watched. So the Lord works it out that you don't feel or think that he's watching what's going on, so you don't change your behavior, so you act freely and independently. And uh, you move through your material existence, uh, enjoying and suffering the results of your own work. Now, in this particular section of the Vedic literature, they're talking about how the Lord came and how he then left. And he came on a mission, and it says... Um, he manifests his appearance to diminish the burden of the earth of miscreants and demonic people who are exploiting others. And then, just like a magician, he relinquished his body, his presence, and he becomes invisible or unmanifest to us. And we therefore, because of our perspective, we think, ah, he left, he died. So this area is discussing about how the Supreme Personality of God is, is neither impersonal nor formless, but, he, uh, but his body is non-different from him. And therefore, he's known as the embodiment of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Now, in the Vedic literature, it's clearly mentioned that anyone who considers the form of the Lord Sri Krishna to be made of material energy must be ostracized by, as being an illusion. The Lord is described as deathless because he has no material body like you or I. Under the circumstances, the Lord's quitting his body is like a jugglery of a magician. The magician shows by his tricks that he is cut into pieces or burnt or made unconscious by hypnotic trance. But all are false shows only. And finally, the magician himself is neither burnt into ashes, nor is he cut into pieces, nor is he actually dead or unconscious at any stage of his magical tricks and demonstrations. Similarly, the Lord has his eternal forms of unlimited variety, of which various incarnations are exhibited within this universe or other universes. Because there are innumerable universes, somewhere or another, each incarnation must be manifesting his pastimes without cessation. So in this verse, the particular word means eternal, ex eternally accepted. Now the idea is that the Lord does not create his incarnations. He is uh, eternally has such forms. They don't just create, they appear. Because they're constantly manifest, he just manifests them in different places, universes, as pastimes. So the appearance and disappearance of such an incarnation serves a particular purpose, and it rotates through the respective universes when there's need for that incarnation. So in the uh, Vedic literature, particularly the Bhagavad Gita as it is, the Lord says that the impersonalists think that I have no form and that I am formless, but that at present I have accepted a form to serve a purpose, and now I am manifest. But such speculators are factually without sharp intelligence. Though they may be good scholars, they are practically ignorant of my inconceivable energies and my eternal forms of personality. The reason that I reserve the power of not being exposed to the non-devotees by my mystic curtain 
is the less intelligent fools are therefore unaware of my eternal form, which is never to be vanquished and is unborn. So we see in the Vedic literature that those who are envious, who are always angry at the Lord, are unfit to know the actual and the eternal form and the methodology of the Lord's incarnations. Now in this, the Bhagavatam, it is stated that the Lord appeared like a thunderbolt to those who were envious of him, and many were killed for their uh, illegal acts upon human society. Some were unable to see him because of the dazzling glare of his effulgent body. Therefore, the temporary manifestation of the Lord as a thunderbolt, or the glaring appearance of the Lord as his effulgence, exist eternally and are never vanquished in any circumstance. Such forms are temporarily shown only. And when the exhibitions are withdrawn, the fools think that the Lord doesn't exist anymore. And they think like of the magician, he's been burnt or cut to pieces. The conclusion is that the Lord has no material body and therefore he, is, he can never be killed or change and he will never leave his transcendental body. So, I'd like to clarify a few things there and give you a little bit broader overview of that. The Lord has the potency to change his vibration rate such that it falls within the capacity of our vision. As you know, our senses are limited senses. We have a range of hearing. We have a range of sight. We have a range of smell. We have a, a, a vibration rate of our mind and intelligence. So all of our senses are working within a small range. And yet the Lord's existence is outside of that range. But he has such potency, he can bring his vibration rate into our range of vision. It isn't that he is uh, manifesting or unmanifesting, sorry, sorry, um, incarnating or dying, taking birth or dying. He is manifesting or unmanifesting by vibration. He's changing his status, not his existence. And from the outside, we see, oh, the Lord pop, appeared. How did he do that? And he's decided to leave, pop, he's gone. And he's done that by changing his vibration rate to within and then without of our spectrum of vision. So for us to think that the Lord is like us, who takes a body, suffers the growth, development, byproducts, dwindling, and death, and is forced again, cycle of birth and death and birth and death and birth and death. That is happening to you and I living entities according to the quality of our work. And it's foolishness for us to consider that the Lord is subject to those influences when actually he created the system that is imposing those restrictions on us. It's given us freedom, but with that freedom comes responsibility. You either suffer or you enjoy for what you do. And the Lord is of the position where he has created the opportunity for you to have that experience. And we enjoy so much. We are so pleased to have our independent free will. We become staunch defenders of our rights and free will. And we do all sorts of things. And sometimes they're very beneficial and sometimes, well, we shouldn't have done that. But either way, the Lord is forcing you to accept responsibility for what you do. Even if it's good, you're forced to accept something good in return. 
And if it's bad, you're forced to accept something bad in return. He's impartial. So what happens is when we see that, oh, everybody I know, everybody that I've ever heard of, read of, witnessed, seen, they are all subject to this cycle of birth and death. None of them live forever. Well, then we say, we take that concept and we try to apply it to the existence of the Lord. In the Vedic literature, this is laughed at. This is called the philosophy of the fools. Because we, we forget, we neglect to recognize that the Lord is the creator of the environment, of the terms and conditions under which this birth and death is going on. If he's the controller of the methodology, the system, and the energies, the potencies required for this system, for so many unlimited number of humans, living entities of all varieties, he is obviously far more powerful than the system he created and is therefore not subject to this system. So the Lord's incarnating is much more an act of appearing where you and I, it's incarnating. We've taken a body, we're caught in it, we live in a duration, we identify with it, and we end up subject to its diminishing and dwindling, and we have to leave it in due course. And for us to think that the Lord is under the same terms and conditions is foolishness. And the Vedic literature tries to squelch that conception. No, no, no. Don't even entertain that. The Lord's potency is so far superior that he is not subject to the laws of nature. He created nature and its laws. Now, similarly, it says here in this verse that there are innumerable universes. Now, the Vedic literature describes that a universe actually has a shell, and that's why they're all dark. If it wasn't for sunlight and electricity and moonlight, it would be dark here. Because when those are missing, it certainly is dark. Well, that can only be if there's a shell. Because the Lord and the spiritual world and his potencies are all effulgent with energy. And that's also mentioned here. So we see these universes are places of quite dark existence because they have a shell. So everything that is within the possible experience of us or our senses, irrespective of how far or wide we travel throughout the universe, it's still in one universal shell. And the Vedic literature then confirms there are innumerable, like so many you can't count them, universes that are all like this, full of living entities and planets and suns and moons, where living entities are doing just what you and I are doing, we're enacting things and fulfilling desires, and we're uh, uh, um, being forced to enjoy or suffer relative to the results of those actions. And that's going on in all of these universes. And in every case, these same types of symptoms reoccur. The people become engrossed in this or that. They become uh, corrupt or something. Uh, and th there raises an unwanted element, and the Lord incarnates to set it right, to keep it from getting out of control. So the Lord's incarnation, there are an unlimited number of them. There are many, and prominent ones are discussed, and the whole pastimes are delineated clearly in the Vedic literature. Each of these particular incarnations, they move about within this universe and the next and another and another and another because there's so many of them. So we think that, ah, uh, this particular incarnation of the Lord happened and stopped happening when actually it stopped off and appeared 
and then disappeared and moved on from universe to universe to universe to universe and doesn't really non-exist at any point. It becomes invisible to us or becomes visible, but it doesn't exist or diminish. It isn't exhausted. It's rotating, moving. So the Lord has a setup where many of these incarnations are rotating throughout all these universes such that at every moment there's a, an incarnation in every universe trying to assist the living entities who want to be independent to understand their eternal relationship with the Lord again as servants. And if you think about it, this is one of the things you say to somebody. Just try this. You come to somebody, you know them or don't know them, who cares? And you say, actually, you know, you're just a servant. And they go, huh? I'm nobody's servant. And that is why they're in the material world. They have a conception that they are above being a servant when actually all of us are created as servants of God. And our natural condition is acting in that service mentality. But everybody who doesn't want to do that has to be in the material world. And they're in one of these innumerable universes. And the Lord is constantly providing you facilities, providing you opportunities, incarnating to try to guide you and demonstrate his transcendental potencies such that you'll write yourself and go, okay, I am a servant, but who should I serve? I can serve this person or the cat or the dog or the whatever, whatever, who should I serve? And the answer is you should serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the Supreme Father. That's who you were meant to serve. Because by that service, there is a return that is far greater than anything you can achieve on your own with your limited potency. So the Lord sends Vedic literature and the saints and sages and spiritual masters to give that message to you, to write you from the misconception that I'm nobody's servant. And you raise yourself up to the platform of being a bona fide servant of God. That is the highest platform. That is the natural platform. So the Vedic literature discusses the pastimes of the Lord, how he appears and disappears, that he's moving about, how he's constantly trying to reclaim these living entities who've forgotten that I'm actually happy when I'm serving the Lord and I'm here in the material world trying to serve my mind and body and senses and it's not working out that well. I'm too much anxiety. There's too much suffering. Many people commit suicide because there's so much suffering. Many people live a life of anxiety because there's so much suffering. And they go ahead and they, um, I guess you'd call it, mentally revolt and cause more suffering and anger and distaste and disgust upon other living and earn more suffering themselves. So they get caught up, is the way the Vedic literature says it. The rebellious living entity who doesn't want to accept he's a servant of God becomes caught up in the reactions of his own actions as he tries to manipulate the material world to satisfying his desires rather than understanding service is his nature, service is his occupation, service holds the joy, the glory, the bliss, the knowledge, the eternal conception of reality he's looking for. And to become a servant of God is the highest perspective of reality. It is actually reality. The Vedic literature describes that this material world is one quarter of the Lord's creation and the other three quarters of the Lord's creation are called the spiritual world. And 
unlike this material world, all the living entities there are transcendentally realized and are happy at being servants and gloriously engaged. And they interact together and support and encourage and care for each other. And they render service to the Lord in a multitude of fashions and tasks. And they have an occupational activity and a perspective of life and a condition of life that is basically unimaginable to us here. Because it is so joyful. It is so blissful. I've described that before in our program. How long has it been since you were actually blissful? Totally happy to the point of your just orbing in ecstatic happiness. Bliss. Well, most people don't get that very much at all nowadays. But that's the standard. That's the state of existence in the spiritual world. That's your normal home. The Vedic literature says the Lord is calling the fallen living entities to come back home, back to Godhead, and read, uh, adopt their normal condition of being servants of the Lord in association of other servants of the Lord in a circumstance of free of anxiety, free of birth, death, old age, and disease. So this level of happiness is completely beyond anything one can achieve in the material world. But we get attached to this material world and our family and our money and our country and so many things that don't deliver the joy of heart we're looking for. And the Vedic literature is completely dedicated to educating you, to guiding you, to informing you about your real natural condition in the spiritual world where your position is um, uh, what it's supposed to be. Your true consciousness is revived, and your true position is established. Bliss and joy are yours to live in. So the Vedic knowledge is called the scientific explanation of God. It's not beliefs. It's not stories. It's not faith. It's based on scientific fact of how the Lord manifests this world, how the Lord manifests the living entities, how the living entities can come to their highest standard, how the Lord and the living entities can exchange love and compassion and lift to the highest level of transcendental enjoyment eternally. That's what we're here for. That's what the Vedic literature is. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices. Or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.